This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the senior editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Research on education interventions often find little impact on student test score performance, but then they find many years later that it has positive effects on long-term outcomes, such as high school graduation or college graduation or earnings later in life. For example, studies of preschool interventions are finding long-term benefits of preschool, but recent studies have found that the nationwide Head Start program has had little impact on student test score performance in third grade. So there's a disjunction between these long-term benefits and what you're observing when you look at test scores. The same thing has happened with studies of class size reduction. Long-term benefits, but not much of an improvement in test score performance after first grade. And my own research on school vouchers finds a similar pattern. Short-term effects on test scores are uncertain, but impacts on minorities uh, are very large when you look at college graduation rates. So now we have a study by Eric Nielsen, a senior economist at the Federal Reserve Board, that digs behind test score performance, as conventionally measured, and might be uncovering some of the reasons why we are coming up with so many inconsistent findings from studies that look at long-term outcomes and studies that look just at test scores. Eric, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you very much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, Eric, uh, you look at the effect of the performance of students on individual items of a test instead of just the summary score on a test. And you use a survey from the Department of Labor in 1979 because that way you could look at people many years later after they had taken this test. Now, how are you able to get the data on the individual items? So that's a great question. So I, before we uh, go further, I do need to say, because I'm an employee of the Federal Reserve, that this is uh, research that I've conducted uh, on my own, and so I'm not um, speaking for the Federal Reserve, and my, my, my statements here don't represent uh, the Fed view on, on these matters. So to your question, um, the survey that I'm using is from the Department of Labor. It's called the National Longitudinal Survey of Youth, and it's a particularly well-suited data set for this question because there was a survey of about 12,500 young adults around 14 to 20 years of age in 1979, and then they followed these this sample year by year at, up till the present. They're still following them, and so every year after the initial wave, they collect detailed information on the earnings, um, schooling completion, marital outcomes, health, a whole host of measures. So the unique feature in this data is that in the first year of the survey, they gave an achievement test to all the students in the sample, and they've released the individual responses to that test. So you know not just the student's overall score, but you know student one got question one correct, they got question two incorrect, question three right, and so on. And so you can actually look at how these individual item responses correlate with these long-run outcomes. And to my knowledge, there are really very few data sets aside from the NLSY that would permit you uh, to do this. So that's very interesting. You, you, you not only know the overall score, you, you know the score on the individual items, uh, and the outcome data that you are looking at? So the specific outcomes that I construct, that one could look at many other things as well, um, are high school completion. So do I ever observe you finishing high school? College completion, have you ever uh, completed uh, a four-year four college degree? And then various measures of your earnings later in life. So specifically, the average wage you earn uh, in your early 30s, and then a measure that attempts to estimate the sort of total sum of all of your labor earnings 
over the whole course of the sample. So year by year earnings added up uh, well into your late 40s. Well, but you don't know what the question was. You know that there was question one and question two, but unfortunately, they won't tell you what they actually asked. Is that is that correct? That's right. And that that is, I would very much like to have that information because uh, to, to preview a bit what we'll likely discuss later, I find that some questions, some specific items, are very strongly correlated with outcomes, uh, earnings or school completion. Other test items are not very correlated with outcomes. So there's very big differences across individual questions on the test in terms of how well they can predict uh, what's going to happen to these, these young adults later on. And a very natural question would be, what is it about the items that are predictive versus the items that are not predictive? Is it items that are about specific, uh, a specific uh, subject um, a specific type of problem, problems that are worded a particular way, or what is it? And unfortunately, that data just are not available. And you can't recover that? Is that uh, gone from the face of the earth, or does, is this buried away in some, uh, some file uh, hidden in the, uh, the Department of Labor? I, I don't know which of the two it is. I do know that I, I have asked about this in this. If this data exists, uh, it's not um, available for public release. So... I think I would have to go through alternative uh, channels to try to get that information. But you do know the difference between the math questions and the reading questions. You have a math test there and a reading thing. And I think one of the most interesting findings in your paper really has to bear on that. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we always find in our research is that math seems to be a more important variable. Uh, if you do an intervention, you're more likely to have an effect on math than you are on reading. If you look at the correlation between math and future outcomes downstream, you get a stronger correlation than you do with reading. Um, and, and so what are you finding in this, in this domain? So I, that's, I actually find that, uh, I still find that math is more predictive of, uh, of long run outcomes than reading is. But in my analysis, reading turns out to matter more than it would if you use test scores that are calculated in the standard way. So um, to give an example of that, if you want to predict um, somebody's wages later in life and you use math scores and reading scores as they're, as they're conventionally measured, you would come to the conclusion that if you know the math score, it really doesn't help to know the reading score in terms of being able to, to predict that person's outcome. And for me, I find that both the math and reading items are important. So the key difference is that there are some specific reading questions that are predictive of outcomes, and those are effectively getting hidden in the way that the tests are scored typically because the, the designer of the test isn't interested in how those, uh, how those items relate to outcomes. So it almost suggests that the, the, the math tests, at least from the point of view of if you're interested in, in what the, how well they predict the future, that, that the, the people who designed those math questions did a better job of designing the math questionnaire than the reading questionnaire. Is that, is that a fair inference? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that they did a better job. So one thing I want to be clear about here is that the, the, the difference between the scales that I construct, so to, to be specific, I make new test scores that are based on the, these uh, individual relationships between, between test items and outcomes, those, I think, are more interpretable if you care about long-run economic outcomes, and that's the context in which 
economists like myself are typically working. I don't want to say that the designers of the test did a bad job or uh, with reading or did a better job with math because their purpose in making the reading and math scores is quite different. So to give a concrete example of that, um, a you could imagine a test for very young children that uh, records how much of the alphabet the student knows. And a teacher may want to know how much of the alphabet the student knows, so a fair, a fair score on that test might just be the percentage of the letters that the student can identify. And that's a totally reasonable measure if you're interested in your task is to ensure that students have mastered the alphabet. Now, if you cared about literacy, for example, knowing three letters of the alphabet versus knowing four letters of the alphabet doesn't really help you be able to read, but knowing, and then there's a big difference between say knowing 24 letters of the alphabet and 26 letters of the alphabet. So if you cared about a longer run outcome, you might choose to scale this test in a very different way than what the teacher did, but I wouldn't conclude from that that the teacher sort of uh, did a bad job uh, picking, the, picking the test scale. So maybe I need to back up a little bit here. So you're, you're actually what you're doing here is you're looking how well each individual item on that test uh, predicts, say, for example, college completion. Yes. Or uh, wages at age 30. Mm -hmm. So you look at each item and you find that some items do a better job of predicting the future than other items. That's right. And so, uh, and when you do that, you find that both math and reading help you to predict future outcomes, whereas uh, the conventional approach, which just summarizes all of these things, assuming that every item is of equal predictive power, uh, yeah. can't get that same level of prediction. That's, that's right. So, and, and I, I, I don't quite, I actually consider all of the items at the same time. So I'm trying to say, given the full test that you had, you got question one right, question two wrong, and so forth, that full uh, list of answers, what is my best prediction for your earnings or your school completion, given, given all of those test items? And well, that, you know, the reason I think this is an interesting finding is that it, it, calls into question the current emphasis on STEM, you know, science, math, uh, really that's the, those are the things you have to study now in school and, you know, literacy may be nice, you know, it's a good thing, but it's really not essential. And you hear that message being conveyed out there time and time again. And what if it really turns out that, well, there's some truth to the fact that math is a better predictor, but it's not quite as convincing as people have been assuming. Do you, you think there's any inference like that one could? I know it's extrapolating yeah, from your so finding, but it is a potential policy significant the, uh, uh, inference. Yeah. So I think that certainly is one, and I think the more general point is that, uh, to summarize quickly what the study finds, is that when you uh, construct effectively new test measures that are based on how the individual test items relate to outcomes, the, the resulting scale that you get from that, the sort of a new item math scale or a new reading uh, scale, ranks individually, individual students quite differently. And it also has different implications for what is the average achievement gap between different groups of students, say high income students and low income students. And one thing that this suggests uh, additionally is that because there are these notable differences between the, the test scores that are typically used in this new test score that I construct, it suggests that other research that finds a, tries to find a treatment effect, it tries to estimate 
what is the effect of a STEM degree or what is the effect of uh, uh, an intervention in the classroom or something like that on, on achievement, those answers might be quite different if you use my measures rather than if you use the test scores that people typically use. So it's certainly possible that what you've highlighted would be one case, it could, and the point, point could apply more generally. So if, if some of the studies that have been done of interventions could really look at item-specific outcomes instead of just taking the average test scores, they might be showing that interventions are having a more uh, substantial impact than they're uh, concluding. That's certainly possible, and the, the fact, my study, I, would, I view it as the first, um, the first step in a research agenda, which would be to, um, to try to understand if you go back sort of before the, the construction of the test scale and rethink how much emphasis you want to place on different individual questions, you know, that could potentially change your views on a, a whole myriad of topics um, that, where researchers use use test scores as measures of, of math or reading or other types of achievement differences. Well, now, you uh, find that the black-white test score gap in math, uh, it, it predicts an even uh, larger gap. Uh, well, it's a, it's a larger gap if you focus on the items that predict uh, future college enrollment. No, a smaller gap. Sorry, smaller sorry, gap. A smaller gap if you're predicting uh, high, uh, uh, college graduation, mm -hmm. but uh, a larger gap if you're predicting wages. And that seemed a little inconsistent to me because, uh, okay, if you go to college, you finish it, you're likely to earn more in life. And yeah. yet you're finding that your method gets a, a different prediction for college uh, completion. So could you sort of reconcile those two findings for me? So I'm not sure if I can reconcile them. I will point out that um, those two findings in concert are consistent with uh, earlier research in this area. So other, other um, researchers have found that if you tried to uh, predict what is going to be the difference, say, in college graduation rates between black students and white students uh, solely on the basis of their test scores, that you predict a larger gap in college completion than um, than what you would in fact observe, so that there's for for whatever reason there's uh, it appears as though uh, that black students are getting more education than you would expect just given their scores, and you also other researchers have found the same finding on the the labor income side that the um, that the it's not that the gaps are actually larger than than what you would predict on the basis of scores, but that the gaps are the earnings gaps are essentially equal to what you would predict. One possible explanation for that could be differences in school quality in terms of the types of colleges, college quality, uh, college yeah, quality yeah. That, the, that, the, that these different students are attending. So if black students are attending school at a higher rate than you would think just on the basis of their scores, but those schools uh, impart less valuable skills to them than, than, uh, than you would expect, uh, then their, their wages, they might not get the same wage boost that you would uh, normally expect to find. Well, Eric, in some of your earlier research, you looked at uh, another measuring issue, which was, uh, do you rely on the conventional scale scores that assume that all differences are interval differences in the underlying data set, uh, as opposed to what or just a simple ordinal difference. Somebody gets more answers right. Yes, I can order people up in terms of the number of answers they get right or some variation on that. Um, 
And you, you found in your earlier work that you actually saw a narrowing of the black-white test score gap over time. Do you think that if your better measure here was available for looking at trends over time, what do you think you would get if you were looking at the black-white uh, test score gap and its implications for uh, the future uh, of blacks and whites? Yeah. Um, so I, it's, I don't know. Uh, so the first thing is this would be uh, a, a hypothesis because I haven't, I have not done the calculation. Um, the earlier study, your earlier study that you're referring to. Um, uses the same NLSY data that I use in, in, in this study, and then it uses, there was a follow-up uh, survey constructed in a very similar way that follows a cohort of young adults uh, starting in 1997. So that earlier paper compared uh, achievement differences between those two. And so I haven't done the analysis to, uh, to construct my new test scores based on the individual questions for that later survey. Um, but you know the two studies have something in common. You're both saying you know the conventional way of measuring student performance has got a lot of noise in it, or the, and there's some there could be some biases yes. as well. And so if you get if you can reduce some of that noise, you might see you might be getting some different results. That that is yes, that is true, and I suspect that. Given that I can observe, uh, you know, if I were, if I could, sort of hold constant the relationship between the test scores as they're typically used and my new measures, and I assumed that that relationship sort of were the same in the later survey, I strongly suspect that I would find a narrowing of the black-white gap um, over that time period, which is again also consistent with other survey data and other other pieces of literature um, that have that have looked at these trends over time. So, um, what's your recommendation to policymakers? Uh, should they treat uh, these studies that uh, uh, use standardized tests as uh, evidence as to whether or not something is effective or not, on, uh, and use this to assess uh, teacher performance and uh, school performance? What, what's your recommendation? So I don't know that I have a, a recommendation per se. The um, I think what this paper and my earlier research uh, highlights is that it's worth thinking very carefully if you're a policymaker or you're just trying to understand these achievement differences or, or, or individual student success, to think very carefully about what the test scores that you're using were designed to measure and what the relationship between that is and what you're interested in measuring. So um, the, the fact that by shifting the focus of what you're trying to measure from pure achievement, uh, as these scores are tr traditionally reported, to these economic measures, do you finish school, how much do you earn, the fact that making that shift can uh, paint such a different picture in terms of which students are doing well, which students are doing poorly, uh, how, uh, how uh, certain demographic groups of students compare to each other, it suggests that sort of anybody who's interested in understanding these, these inequality issues should be thinking very carefully about, you know, what is the data that I have and how might it relate to, uh, to the outcomes that I care about. And there might be another policy recommendation, and that would be uh, maybe we should be unpacking these, these test scores and start looking at individual items, and maybe we should expect that those people who write the tests should at some point in time make the questions available to outsiders so that uh, somebody can look at, okay, what are the kinds of questions that are really 
uh, the kinds of questions that people should look at if they're interested in the uh, long-term outcomes, uh, economic and educational outcomes for students. So certainly my dream would be for um, the individual test item data to be widely available, not just in this uh, NLSY study that I'm using here, but across, uh, across, other, uh, across other tests. So school districts are often giving, uh, often have uh, statewide tests or district-wide tests. So having the individual item data there would be, uh, would be tremendously valuable. Um, and it's, uh, it also does suggest, I think, that if we had a lot of these individual test items and if we could know more about the specific content of those items, that is, was it a geometry problem? Was it a word problem? You know, what was it? A, was it a reading comprehension problem, or vocabulary, or, or what? What the details would be if we could start to understand whether there are sort of consistent relationships between those specific kinds of questions and these long-run predictiveness of, of of economic outcomes. Then it would suggest that either if we're designing our new test, or uh, we're, we're thinking about how we want to how we want to assess students going forward, we might want to keep in mind what we've learned about which items really turn out to be uh, predictive or not. So that would be another, that would be another implication or follow-up uh, thing to look at is, is whether, whether these, uh, these content areas had, this, had a stable relationship. Well, that could be a, a first step. That could definitely be a first step. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Eric, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. I've been speaking with Eric Nielsen, the Senior Economist at the Federal Reserve Board. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.